Hi there, I'm Dr. Owen Muir, and this is Remotely Possible, a podcast about anxiety, uncertainty, and existential despair. When I first thought about doing this, it wasn't just about COVID-19 and how much of a mess that is. One of the things I've learned about podcasting is that you want to make sure you come out with something regularly, and you also want to make sure it's good. So I'm working on a thing to make it good, and I have something to come out regularly this week instead. This is the very first story that I ever made into a successful, I hope, episode of a podcast, and it's an homage to all the doctors who are going to be working in roles they might not have even thought about since they were in medical school. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy it. Drag me down an invitation. Drag me down I managed to successfully avoid drawing blood of any kind, which is incredible and, and kind of embarrassing. You're a total shirker. <laughs> I was, yeah. I graduated with an MD having never done a blood draw, having never stuck anyone with a needle. My name is Kelly Fiore, and I am a psychiatrist. I've been a psychiatrist for nine years. I've always been terrified of needles ever since I was very young, and yet I was very drawn to medicine, especially drawn to psychiatry. So I knew, even as I was before med school, that that was going to be a major hurdle, and I just figured I'll deal with that at some point. But that just increased my level of anxiety for residency, because in residency, that's when you're really responsible for patients. That's when you're, you're the doctor and you make the decisions. For the first month or so, I was able to completely avoid it. If I needed to get someone's labs, I could put the order in and they would have phlebotomists or people who draw blood come by and draw the blood, and I kind of successfully managed to get around it. You gamed it out. For about a month. <laughs> how, how much effort did you put into gaming it out? It was a lot of effort. Because a lot of people would just say, oh, I need to get this, I need to find out what the person's white count is, for example, Let's see if they have an infection. Oh, I'll just go to the patient and draw their blood. I had to put the orders in exactly at the time when the regular phlebotomist would be coming by, and it was only like maybe twice a day. Mm -hmm. you know. So I had to really time everything very well in order to avoid this. So it was a lot of effort. Did you have to learn like the schedules of the phlebotomist? Yes. Oh, yeah. They came at 10 o'clock, sometimes a little earlier, <laughs> 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and if I didn't put the orders in at that time, I just wouldn't have the data that I needed for, for the patient. The weekend was less frequent, and that's actually... The time when I, you know, came face to face with my demons was on a Saturday night. I remember being upset that I was in the hospital. I, I had just recently started dating someone who's now my husband, and he and his friends were all getting together for a Christmas party, and, and I really wanted to go. I was really happy that he had invited me, and of course, I couldn't go because I was on call, and I had to spend the night in the hospital sleeping in a hospital bunk bed that perhaps had bed bugs. <laughs> if I even were fortunate enough to sleep at all. So the on-call experience for people who haven't experienced it, you have a pager, you have an awful bunk bed, which may or may not have clean sheets, and if you're lucky, you lay down for a little bit. Right. I mean, basically, 
the mentality is you have to go into it thinking you're not going to sleep because if you go into it expecting to sleep, you're going to get paged. And in fact, some people deliberately try not to even lie down because it's almost worse to go to sleep and wake up than it is to never go to sleep. What kind of hour of the, of the morning, I guess, or night was this when this page came in? This was about 3 a.m. So I was really psyched to, you know, even if it was just like 20 minutes, half an hour to, to just not exist for that half an hour. And, and you were pulled back cruelly into existence. Right. And I'm jolted awake. and um, You returned the phone call. And I returned the phone call, yeah. And, and so basically they said, you know, this gentleman in room 201, you know, is spiking high fevers and he needs blood cultures. Get the blood cultures. It was three in the morning and this had to happen. Ethically, I couldn't not do it, even though I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't put it off till the morning person came around. I couldn't ask anyone else to do it because nobody was there. My friend was not on call that night. I had to do it. I, I literally had no choice. How far did you have to walk between the call room and, and the patient's room? Um, I would say it was, I mean, it was a pretty long distance. It was, I don't know, maybe an eighth of a mile or so. It's hard to, it's hard to estimate distances in the hospital, but how fast did you do that walk? That walk was not a brisk one. (laughs) It was, um, and with every step I could kind of feel my heart racing and just feel myself growing angrier and angrier at myself. Like, you know, how could I have let this go for so long? Because, you know, as it's happening, as you're avoiding something, whether it's paying a bill, whether it's drawing blood. I mean, you know, you don't consciously realize you're doing it. You kind of just, you know, you allow yourself to be trapped in a pattern, you know, where you're sort of semi-consciously avoiding. And and I let it go on for so long. And it was really something I regret. You know, I, I could have just faced this in med school. I could have said, you know what, I'm afraid of blood draws. And I could have sat down with any number of residents or attendings and said, I need help with this. I could have sat down with a friend and said, I need help with this. Can I practice on you? And I didn't do that, you know? And, and I really, in that moment, I felt really terrible. I felt guilty because here was a, a human being who needed my help, and I really was not prepared to give it to him. So. You, you are a flawed human being walking more slowly down the hall than you would like to get those blood cultures. Right, exactly. So you get to the room, and, and who do you see laying in, in the hospital bed? So I walk in and I encounter this man who's kind of splayed out in his bed and he's morbidly obese. He is covered from head to toe in tattoos. Some of them were faded, like they were in varying degrees of quality and sort of upkeep. (laughs) So some of them might have been from several years ago. He was like a, a very tough looking guy, you know. He had earrings in both ears. He had kind of a gruff expression on his face. And I introduced myself and I said, I'm here to draw your blood for blood cultures. And he immediately knew that, that I was uncomfortable. And he said, he said to me, you know, you look extremely anxious. You know, is everything okay? <laughs> this guy spiking a fever of 102 is asking me if, if I'm okay. And then he said, look, you don't have to be so nervous about drawing blood. It's really not that hard. And he said, you know, I'm a heroin addict. I can show you how to do it. You can practice on me. It doesn't bother me at all. 
we spent a fair amount of time together that night. We probably spent an hour together. And he told me about his days of, you know, boozing and using heroin in his 20s. And he was, you know, almost wore a badge of honor about how good he was at finding veins and identifying veins and all these very obscure parts of his obese (laughs) physique. You know, he essentially, like, put his arm out and said, here, here's my vein, put your hand on it. And he said, you know, this is where you put the needle. (laughs) And he really, he was extremely directive. I mean, he was almost like an instructor in that way. And I actually practiced on his arm, I practiced on his hand, I practiced on his forearm in different spots where, and he showed me how to get the veins to pop out and how to, he he gave me essentially a tutorial that I never received or sought out in medical school about how to draw blood. And he really put me at ease. He identified what I was going through. He really identified my fear and he addressed it directly without me even having to say anything. He was almost like my psychiatrist. (laughs) He was the good psychiatrist that night. Right. He really was. And that's how I learned how to draw blood. Now I felt like I was actually competent to be a physician, whereas he put his years of drug use and, um, to good use to help train a medical professional to, to, you know, gain an important skill that they, you know, that I did need to know, even though I didn't think I did. Remotely Possible is a podcast by, and in some ways for, the team at Brooklyn Minds. We're a multidisciplinary mental health practice, and you can check us out on the web, www.brooklynminds.com. If you're in New York State, we do telepsychiatry. Our logo is by Cortex Creations. Our communications firm is Greyhorse. The show is produced by Self-Disclosure Productions. This story would like to acknowledge Dr. Kelly Fiore and Final Final V2. That's a production company. This show is a production of Brooklyn Minds and Self-Disclosure Productions. It does special things, and we like it because it's special. Specialness is further reinforced by equalizers and putting compressors on things. And then when we turn up the compressors, it helps, because sometimes then it needs extra compression. Oh, yeah. No, no, wait. Oh, there we go. Wrong way. The threshold knob goes the other way than every other compressor. And then we need some gain makeup, and there we go.